Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, my buddy, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Hi there, Jason Johnston Yellen. Hi there, Joshua Hatton. Oh, you missed my middle name. With you. You missed my middle name. Uh, Matthew. Nope. Luke. Nope. Paul. (laughs) John. Nope. Zappa. (laughs) Oh, I wish. I wish. Yeah, my middle name is not biblical. Um, Moses. You're getting close. It's, uh, there is an M. If I, if I guess your name, I get your firstborn. No, you don't get my firstborn. That's not how (laughs) things work. That's how it worked in Rumpelstiltskin. Is that how, oh, that is how it worked in Rumpelstiltskin. Is your middle name Rumpelstiltskin? Fuck. Okay, you get my firstborn. (laughs) (laughs) A deal's a deal. (laughs) If only your mother had thought of that when she named you back in the day. (laughs) Is is that the one with the golden thread? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my daughter can turn straw into gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rumpelstiltskin assists her in that. But, like everything in this life, comes at a price. It does. It's 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 a lesson uh, as old as time. Is your middle name Mr. T? <laughs> I pity the fool who thinks that it's Mr. T. <laughs> Joshua, <fool>. Mr. T. Hatton. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's actually the the French. It's actually Monsieur T. <laughs> Monsieur T. Um, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe we're, we're still doing this. <laughs> Um, well, you know, my wife said this to me the other day. She said, Jason, you're really competitive. And I said, no, I'm not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll race you and see who's competitive. Uh, and so there's, there's a part of me wants to guess it because I know you've told me at some point, is it Michael? I will tell you someone who was a king had this name. Is it David? No, it starts with an M, remember? George. (laughs) (laughs) This is when people tend to write in and say, were you drunk when you recorded the intro? (laughs) Nope. Nope. This is what it's like when your kids don't bother you during summer vacation. You have fun. You enjoy yourself. It's quite lovely. (laughs) So this this particular king. Oh, I know what it is. I know your middle name. Yeah. I know your middle name. Because it always strikes me. Yeah. And I've said this to you before, as a as a very un-American name. I can't think of any Americans yeah. I know who have this name. Yeah, yeah. Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> Panic on the streets of London. <laughs> no, it's Martin. Your middle yes. name is Martin. It's Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... I, I literally don't know another American who has... Martin is their first name. Martin is their middle name. I even guarantee you, we don't have any nation members, and we're totaling about 5,000 nation members right now. I don't think we have a nation member with the first name Martin. Martin Luther King was an American. That's very true. Yeah. That's arguably the greatest American. He's up there. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, he's the only... Yeah. Did people stop calling their kids Martin after his... There was a gentleman at my tasting last night named Martin, Martin Coburn. Huh. 
There you go. That's okay. two. Two great Americans named Is Martin. that Martin a member of the nation? He is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm over two on my observations on that one then. One person has completely annihilated my observations. <laughs> uh, speaking of, how was the group trip to HQ? Right. So uh, for those that are not aware, uh, we did our first ever single cast nation headquarters tasting. Now, the fact of the matter is we really don't have a headquarters. Uh, you have your home office. And only, and only 50% of ownership were there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you have your home office. I have my home office. But um, my, my good friend and nation member and my, my token Finn friend, uh, Kimo Pironen, has an office. Also known as Martin. Also known as Martin. Uh, we used his office and we did an epic tasting where basically what I did is I took some some of our oldest bottlings and put them next to casks we said no to. So mm, yep. I, I had That's our a smart way to do it. Right. I had our Benriac 17 that I put up against we had a peated port Benriac that they gave us, a Sautern one, and then a cognac Benriac. And got mm, to show nice. people why we chose our 17-year-old. Um, I did the same with, I opened up my bottle. We, ha- we had a Glen Glassa Octave that we don't really talk about much. It was something that we laid down back in 2012. And it was with the intention of, when once it's ready to bottle, we would gift it to the people who are our founding members, who were there from the very beginning that continued to support us. We had maybe... 37 bottles and I decided to open mine up and I got to compare that next to some four and five year old no I think it was just four year old Glen Glassa samples that we'd gotten all from refill hoggy and and it just showed why we would say no to this what and why we'd say yes to this other thing or why this is yeah, a complete smart. whiskey and that one wasn't so so yeah so it was it was good we had about 16, 17 people there. It's a small room, so we had to cap it. And it was just a fun night. Broke out the Great Isle of Swim bottle. Oh, can I toss in a little bit of news here? Uh, yeah, we're not going to do a news section later, so show yeah. it, throw in a little one. <laughs> so one of the things that I did, and, and I had not, I did not share this in the Facebook invite, but you and I, are doing another collaboration with Hello from the Magic Tavern. And what we did is we took some, we've been sitting on a bunch of bourbon casks for a while now, and I married up uh, two different versions, four casks here and four casks there. And I let this group decide which one we're going to bottle. How did that go? It actually. Everybody got the winner? It was tough. You know why? Because... At first, it was an even split. It was 50-50. And thankfully, one person showed up late, and he gave the, uh, he gave oh, the final boy. decision. So, uh, But it's both were tasty. Like, like, both were very different from one another. And, you know, as we talked about before, what we do when we have done this in the past, and we, we did it um, at Westland, um, we pick things that we would bottle no matter what because we love it and then we put it in front of people and say 
pick your favorite majority wins. And there were some people that were like, nope, the first one was the best one. And some people said the second one was the best one. In the end, they all said, oh, I'm going to drink it either way. It's Both were good whiskey. You know, both were a good whiskey, but I, I preferred that one over this one. So it was still, it was good fun. And it was good to do a tasting that was less than a mile from my house. I absolutely yeah. love that. Yep. Yeah, I think I get to do a few more of those types of events than you do. But they are, yeah, they're they're nice. I did one one time three streets from my house. It's within yeah. stumbling distance. Absolutely. Yep, <laughs> it was a very short zigzag path yeah. home. And I'll tell you what, we had people driving down from Massachusetts, two, three-hour drive, depending on traffic. We had uh, another guy, this guy by the name of Travis and his wife, they drove up from Florida specifically for this tasting. Whoa. Yeah. It was it was pretty damn wild. So That's a schlep. It's it's a schlep. So yeah, so we'll we'll do a, we'll do it again and hopefully you will be able to join us this time. Hopefully if we don't do it in the summer, I can be there. Yeah. Okay, next summer it is. <laughs> Perfect. See you there. <laughs> or not. <laughs> so so you Believe it or not, made what I consider a wonderful little seg Ooh. into our interview for the day. I didn't realize I did that. Can you explain? I know. This is why I'm having fun pointing this out to you. As you returned us back to the mm. early days of Single Cast Nation, and mm. you talk about the Ben Riak that we selected. Mm. With that Ben Riak, we selected our four-year-old Colholman. That is very true. That and the subject of today's interview is the man who sold us that very cask. Yeah, Anthony Wills. The good Anthony wonderful. Wills. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful human being. Yeah. Who yeah. won't sell as another one, but here we are. Yeah, he, he remains a wonderful human being. <laughs> Regardless, we won't hold that against him. Can't hold that against him. <laughs> but, you know, you know what's interesting is, is we've had James Wills on the podcast twice before. Exactly. And... You know, obviously, we wanted to have a conversation with Anthony, but didn't know what to talk about because both of the James Wills episodes, which I, I urge, if you haven't listened to it, I urge everybody to go back and listen to them. They're very in-depth conversations. We're talking about a multitude of of things that are Kilhoman, and and James was always very open. To, to talking about the ins and outs of Kilhoman. And we get into this conversation not necessarily knowing what we're going to talk about, but we ended up having about a good 45-minute conversation. We discussed stuff we've never discussed with James. And Anthony was... What I thought was amazing is we said, Hi, Anthony. Here's a 15-word question. What do you think about that? And he throws a 10-minute answer back at us. <laughs> he's so open, and uh, I think you used the word effusive before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was very detailed answers, very forthcoming, very honest. Yeah. And that's one of the aspects that I was aware of going into the interview was, here we are, as One Nation Under Whiskey, mm. talking Kilholman again. And... What could we hear from Anthony that wouldn't just be a rehashing of what our listeners had heard from James? Yeah. And really 
we got the perspective of the company owner, the mm. brand owner, the distillery owner. And so even some areas where James was a younger fella, hadn't quite lived the experience. Yeah. Anthony gave it to us firsthand. Um, and I, I thought that was very welcome. And really, in thinking back to the conversation that we had with Anthony, the only thing that I even think we've previously covered with James and on the podcast is the second stillhouse and how it will allow them to dedicate a set yeah. of stills yeah. to 100% Isla. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit with Anthony about what older stocks might look like for Kilhoman, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that's something we covered with James. Yeah, that's, certainly, that's true. Yeah. Certainly back when you know the 12-year-old club release hadn't yet been good made point. available. Yeah, good point. Yep. So, so aside from those couple of areas... I really think Anthony gave us a, a brand new perspective on Kilhoman and running the business mm. of Kilhoman. Yeah. And yeah. growing the business of Kilhoman. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was very thankful for all those new angles uh, from Anthony. As was I. And, and what I'm thankful for and, and what I found so refreshing was... And I, and I just mentioned it a minute ago was how open and honest he was. There was nothing that we would have or could have asked that he would say, nope, I, you know, I can't talk to that or I won't talk to that. So no, let's, let's hear, hear, good question. Here's my answer. And you don't always, <laughs> you don't always get that. And, and, you know, we, depending on who the subject is, there's some things we may not want to ask them or, you know, topics that, you know, we, we might avoid. We don't do that often, but, but, you know, anyway, I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a refreshing conversation where you can say, tell me about X and he tells you about X and he throws Y and Z in there for you just for good measure. Well, and that's why, you know, I think it shows the type of conversation that we were having somewhere towards the end of our, our questioning I even said to him, so let's go back to the beginning. What would you have done differently? Mm. Like, what a question to ask somebody who's been busting their hump on their their brand, their company, their distillery for 15 years. Yeah, right. Um, and, and longer than that. I'm only going back to 2004. Um, clearly, he was doing due diligence before that as well. And having the audacity to say, so what would you have done differently? And without missing a beat, he answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was really wonderful. Some people would say, you know, I don't have to answer this. <laughs> really, you know, let's let's move on. You know, you know, sometimes beginnings can be embarrassing. You know, he even talked. He talks about. It. He said, "We made some really dumb financial mm. decisions. Yep. Where in the end, we we tried to take shortcuts, but in the end, it cost us more money. You yep. know, we didn't we didn't have the guidance." Uh, and likely didn't even know where to look for for that guidance, and and you know not everybody would be willing to just say you know what we were young we were green we were just figuring this stuff out. Thank God we had the help of Dr. Jim Swan, but other than that we were kind of on our own. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, learning learning as you go in, go along, and then making yourself a resource mm. for those who would come behind you. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I think that speaks to the character of the man that, that he has made himself available yeah. to speak to those who would want to follow in his footsteps. And normally his advice is, don't do it. Don't follow in my footsteps. <laughs> but if you can't be persuaded otherwise, here's yeah. some things to be careful yeah. with. So, no, he's a, he's a solid, solid whiskey guy and generous with his time with us. And we thank him for that. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have another representation of Kilholman on the podcast. And one of the beautiful things about this conversation was the fact that you and I were together with Anthony on Isla at the distillery just a couple days before Fijil. And and when we're when we were able to do that, when we're traveling together, interviewing people together. It makes my life so much easier because I could just take that conversation and drop it in here without without some of the extra editing that goes on. And I thought the conversation alone, there's really no need for me to cut this up for you and I to hop in and out of it because it was question, answer, question, answer, have a bit of conversation and it's all there. And so if, if you agree, I'm, I'm just going to drop it in here and then, and then you and I will have a bit of conversation afterward. Yeah, more than happy to hand the floor over to the three of us chatting in the new visitor centre before it's even been opened. Oh, so one thing I need to mention to people, and, and you may hear it here, here and there, um, Anthony seemed to have a little bit of a tickle in his throat, and there may be a bit of coughing here and there. I tried to edit out as much of it as I could. Um, you will also hear some steel work going on, some like, you know, sawing and, and all sorts of things. They were busy building all of their, their awnings and, you know, basically anything. Uh, what, do, what do they call those things? Like canopies to protect people from the rain, because apparently... On Kilhoman Day, which is the Thursday during Fijil, it was it was going to be pissing down that whole day. So they they were setting up for that Thursday. Well, I think that was maybe what was giving Anthony that little tickle was there was a bit of dust in the air, and it's not every day you go to Isla and experience a bit of dust in the air. <laughs> Normally, the rain is keeping that dust where it belongs. <laughs> and so I think yeah, they were just working up a little zone. Plus, we were in the new cafe. Uh, which is still getting a little bit of uh, work done on yeah. the end of it. But yeah, I, I trust your editing, Joshua. I think you'll make this an easy listen for our dear, dear listeners. Do you, do you think what was happening is is he and and us, that we were breathing in aluminum powder? Without any shadow of a doubt. And asbestos. And asbestos. Wow. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I think there's a good chance. You didn't chance. see the big sign outside that said free, abest- free asbestos here? Oh, I thought there was some. I thought that was Abe Estos. It was like free <laughs> Abe Estos, who is, you know, as you know, he's a political figure that, that's imprisoned right now who needs to be freed. I, <laughs> and his sister? Do you know his sister, Abby? Abby something. Abby Normal? Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Abby normal. 
I'm almost sure that was the name. What are you talking about? Come on, Young Frankenstein. I don't know. I'm just, uh, you don't, you know what I'm talking Let's about. Let's go to the interview. <laughs> so the interesting thing is I've, we've had James on the podcast twice. Yeah. And he has answered most of the questions. But I have a new question for you <laughs> to, 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 to kick it off. <laughs> and, and it's tied a bit to what we have in our glass, which is the, which is the STR cask. And coming from the perspective of someone who's been drinking Kilhoman, I think I started drinking it since 2009-ish, anywhere, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. As of late, and, and by as of late, I, I would say the past five, six or so years... I think of your annual releases where you have various casks. You did the Sauterne, you did the Sauterne finish, you did Madeira, and so on. And now you have this STR cask. And we talked before in, in the warehouse, you have some Pinot Chiron casks coming in, some Calvados, etc. And And I'm just curious, from your perspective... Are you, are you dabbling with these various casts to try to find, is Kilhoman still finding its way through, through the lens of these various casts? Are you just having a good bit of fun? I think it's a combination of all those things. I think um, as a distiller, you're, we know it works well in ex-bourbon casts mm-hmm. and ex-sherry casts and has done for, for many, many years. And I think... Uh, you know, nowadays it's looking to innovate a bit more, and and uh, whereas a lot of distilleries have have um, done finishes and and have done them successfully for a number of years, uh, I accept that that works well, but mm-hmm. wanted to maybe find a way of uh, of doing full maturation term for these other sort of experimental cast types that mm-hmm. we've used, and I think it's all about showcasing uh, Kilhoman. Uh, in a different light, uh, mm. uh, different characters coming through from the, the cast that uh, been, they've been matured in. And I think uh, we're fortunate that our spirit character, the sort of sweetness and the fruit, fruitiness and the, how clean and fresh it is, seems to work because of the peaty, smoky style and the strong flavors that come through. Uh, they seem to work well in these other spirit um, yeah. casts. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's um, something that we'll just continue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we think that some have worked better than others, um, uh, and uh, some that I didn't think worked quite so well. People have been, you know, hmm. saying great things about. It. So I think um, we're always going to continue that journey, and it's not about us trying to find a particular cast type that we think right. We're going to stick everything into that cast type. Right. I think it's about um, showcasing Kilhoman in in various different um, uh, styles. And it's about, you know, uh, getting people to start that discussion uh, about Kilhoman in different uh, different uh, styles. And I think uh, it's important for a small distillery like ours to, to be mm. doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, innovation is all part of, of that uh, process. We, we have all the control we'd want here now in terms of the... The, the the farm and and uh, growing the barley and and different peating varieties and uh, and now we're looking at yeast varieties and li- different barley strains and, and and all these things I think um, just open to discussion and uh, and keep hopefully get people talking about Kilhoman a bit more I think that's yeah. what it is um, the STR cast matured was very much a um, 
um, something that uh, Jim Swan, who's my consultant and, and great mate, um, who, who sadly died a few years ago, who, who, who helped me um, put all our cast maturation together, helped me sort of uh, get the, the cut points where yeah. we wanted them, yeah. the whole design of the distillery. Uh, and this is very much uh, his making. The STR cask uh, is, is what he, um, he, he came up with the innovation. And now it's being used by a number of distilleries, new distilleries, um, very successfully. And, uh, you know, th this release that we've just done has worked incredibly well, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, very well balanced, sort of summer fruits and berries, but, but, but has that Kilhoman character in it as well. What's the difference between STR and DCHAR rechar? Not a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think <coughs> proprietary <coughs> trademark. I think it's it's just them coming up with their own term for it. I mean, shaved, toasted, recharred is not dissimilar to what you just described. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, I think there is different uh, forms that you you do it. Um, you know, a light. Uh, and then a heavy and, and what wood chips you use mm. um, in, um, uh, in the recharring. Uh, oh, I think that's interesting. I think yeah. wood chips are, are definitely something that will, will change the characteristics of uh, okay. what you use and uh, how heavily you, you do it, you know, how heavily you shave it and how heavily you... Mm. Um, I think it's uh, everybody has their secret way of doing it. So even uh, the cooperage where I bought these from, where I was trying desperately hard for them to give me the... All the information they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, mm. what was the bit that they wouldn't give you the the depth of jarring and, and oh, shaving okay. and okay. uh what would they just said wood chips wood chips uh, okay. x red wine casts um where from they weren't gonna say particularly i mean i think there are various cooperages that, that are now um doing this and i know two or three have offered me casts uh we've used eas because jim swan was very closely connected with them uh and uh, we've been pleased with the cast we get from them mm. um i think the issue now is um the more information that we want the less they're giving us <laughs> and i think that's probably not understanding how much more information our consumers are wanting uh, how much uh, more educated um the consumer is sure. with single malt and and maturation and we know that if you put a, a chateau on the label you know, like uh, all the first growth clarets and, yeah, and sure. uh, Chateau Chem from Sauterne, then you're going to be able to promote and sell the product on the back of that. I think that's, for me, that's not how it should be because mm. I think it's it's the whiskey that should be um, predominantly yeah. how well the, the whiskey has come together in a Chateau Lafitte cask or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's wrong to promote it on the back of a, a well-known uh, red wine. Um, yeah. But I think that Amarone and uh, Sas yeah. Sasakaya, yeah. all these wonderful names, uh, red wine casts, mm. uh, are hitting the shelves and, you know, suddenly they're becoming very popular. It is something that everyone's looking at a bit more closely. Mm. I think it's fun for the consumer because it gives them all, all sorts of different characteristics coming from the same distillery. Um, everyone's doing it now, to be yeah. honest. And, yeah. and I think, uh, you know, now it's about innovating a bit more. I think the Scotch whisky industry has tended to be quite sort of um, narrow-minded, mm. but there's very good reason for that. I mean, you know, uh, the Scotch whisky industry, driven by the big guys, have been hugely successful. What have they done? Why would you change what you're doing if it's working well? I think yeah. it's only in the last 15 years that independent um, 
distillers have come into the game, independent bottlers have, have, uh, have been successful. And I think, um, you know, there's now room for everybody in that mm -hmm. respect. So mm -hmm. you're always looking at a different angle to promote your particular distillery. Sure brand and I think that's what we're all looking to do and uh, either journalists you know Dave Broom is one that will be pushing for more innovation mm -hmm. uh, he is very supportive of any distiller that's innovative it doesn't mm -hmm. just have to be whiskey it can be any spirit in the, in the world so I think that's what the name of the game is because I think uh, consumers are now very knowledgeable yeah. and, they're, and they're looking for innovation more and more. So as you're talking about innovation, when we were in the still house, you started to talk about your own experiments uh, being innovative with yeast. Took the words out of my mouth. I could tell. And <laughs> and one of the things that our listeners always want to know more about, and and when we've brought tours over to Scotland, they've always asked questions about, is yeast. Uh, one of the driving forces for us in the United States is craft brewers, who are not just using different barleys in their products, but also using different <coughs> yeasts. Listening to you in the Stillhouse today, you were quite effusive uh, in your, you know, ideas about innovation. Tell us what you know about yeast and what have you seen in your now time experimenting with that yeast at Kilholman? I think, like everybody that builds a new distillery, you tend to go for... You, you don't experiment that much. You're looking mm. for a consistent character spirit, and that's exactly what we did. Jim Swan said that, you know, Maori distiller's yeast would probably give us a more floral note, a uh, clean, fresh floral note. Uh, and we stuck with it, really, mm. to be honest with you. It's a yeast variety that a lot of the distillers have used. And uh, so we used that. We're very happy with it. But I think, um, what do I know about yeast? Well, not a lot, but I do know that yeast is one of the areas that you can experiment a lot more than you can with wood maturation or how you make your single malt it has to be from barley huh. and has to be from stills and okay so you can use different varieties and different strains of yeast that you can have from your you can actually do it yourself i think um we have experimented a little bit but only just purely uh, uh, of interest we tried different strains of yeast we've tried dried yeast we've had uh, and we tried a different strain of pressed yeast and we didn't the pressed yeast uh, results weren't as good as far as we were concerned. It left a rather bitter note mm. uh, in the spirit. Mm. But yeast is going to play a, a much bigger part than everyone likes to think. And I, I think yeast is something that no one really talks about. Mm. Uh, it's there to do a job. Uh, and I don't think anybody really considers that it will have a, a, ba uh, a um, impact on the character of the spirit. But it does. Um, so we have done in the last week or two and on our open day uh, Dave Broom and I are doing a mass class discussing a spirit from different yeast varieties um, three different uh, samples from our Mari uh, from a Kerry, Kerry yeast which is pressed yeast Kerry M and Kerry MX and uh, we're doing a Mari one we're doing a Kerry M a Kerry uh, MX and then we're doing a, a Mari combined with uh, Kerry M and I haven't actually tasted them yet, but the boys say that there is a marked difference. Mm. And I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, yeast, yeah. you know, if you yeast in making uh, um, bread, you know, you get different characters of, of bread. So I think it's, it's, an uns it's not very sexy to talk about yeast. Um, oh. And it's a function of distilling whiskey and you just chuck it in there and away it goes. I now want to, to try and look at different strains. And, and I know 
the distilleries, smaller distilleries are doing that. And mm. America is a place that it's being done yeah. a lot. In the UK and in Scotland, probably not. Mm. And it's not something we talk about very much. It's about fermentation time. Uh, it's about um, uh, just getting consistency that you're looking for. Yeah. And uh, yield. Yeah. And yield. And yield right. is, well, I think it's unfair to say that you know, all the big distilleries are driven just by yield. But of course, I think at the end of the day, that's what drives the industry. So the variety of barley and the yeast you use, mm. if it produces the results you're wanting in terms of litres per tonne of, uh, of malt, that's what you're going to use. And But maybe the smaller distillers are, are looking at not so much, they're not so driven by by economies of scale and, 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 and keeping everything down to the pound, shillings and pence. Well, that was one of the things I was curious about for you is what would be the balance between yield and taste? If you fell in love with a with a yeast that gave you a great Kilhoman spirit, but your yield had dropped so significantly, would you then have to walk away from that yeast to I think, find something that gave you more balance between flavor and yield? Well, I think that's a good question. I think you have to strike a balance, but we've uh, with our own barley that we malt here, our yields are less or mm-hmm. have been they are imp- much improved now because we've got better at doing looking after our malt during the malting process mm-hmm. so you know from starting on at 350 liters per ton or even less than that on occasions we're now up at 380 390 and sometimes oh, wow. we're down 400 so oh, that's great well and that's about efficiency and but am i driven by efficiency no so if we found a yeast that that worked really well uh we 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 might not use it all the time, but yeah. we would certainly do a batch of it to just uh, showcase what can happen with a, a different yeast variety. But I think you're always going to be looking at the cost implications uh, over time, and you, you just have to get the balance right. Brilliant. Does having that the, the second stillhouse installed, does that help you play around a bit more, just give you that flexibility that you didn't have before? Undoubtedly. I mean, I think um, it'll now give us the uh, options to put all our 100% Isla through the, the one still house. We can experiment with more experimentation with peating varieties, uh, mm. peating types, sorry, and, and length of peating, uh, barley varieties, which we're experimenting with now, and, um, and yeast varieties. But that's the same on either side. So it gives us a huge amount of flexibility in, in how we now yeah. uh, move forward. Uh, to showcase what we can do. Yeah, yeah. When we were going through the warehouse earlier, we were tasting some ex-bourbon, some nice older 100% Isla as well, and we tasted a Madeira finish that you said, oof, you know, I I think this may have spent a bit too long in the cask. And someone in our group really liked it. I think it was Andreas, the guy from Finland. And just as, as you're thinking about your various markets... Right? Do you have certain casts, certain types that you know this will do well for Germany, this will do well for the U.S., etc.? Not as a whole. I think um, we know that different uh, styles suit different markets. It's difficult to, for us as a small distillery to tailor everything for certain mm. markets. But but you'll be surprised that you know what I might think isn't right or what I think is fantastic. You know, various people will will argue that that's I'm wrong. Mm. But then it's a very personal thing. Um, I think yeah. what we've got to do is be able to showcase all sorts of different styles and let the let the consumer or the distributor um, or the retailer decide. And, and 
I don't think we can do any more than that. And I think um, that's why, uh, you know, if I said to you, well, I'm going to fill everything into bourbon because I prefer bourbon, cast yeah. maturation, and I do. But, but that's not what it's about. Sherry plays a, a very important part. Asia, for instance, it's all sherry. Uh, sweeter the better, mm. darker the better. Um, so we have to, to get a balance of all different uh, cast maturation in the warehouse. And, uh, you know, it surprises me sometimes when people do say they, they like that. But then, you know, that's what whiskey generates an argument mm. about because there isn't a one-fits-all style. Right. And I think that's what is, uh, uh, is superb about the Scotch whiskey industry and um, whiskey in general is that there's something out there for everybody's style and character and, and, and their favourite dram. Uh, and they're all different, even here mm. on Isla. You know, we're all producing, a, it's, well, most of the time, a peated style and smoky, and, and uh, we're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where we, we benefit from having such a, uh, a huge range of characteristics from whiskey sure. in general. Sure. Uh, as you're out in the markets and you're pouring different uh, whiskies and finishes and maturation, is there anything that's surprising you? Um, what I'm thinking is yesterday we were at a warehouse tasting with Ian MacArthur, a.k.a. Pinky, and he was talking about he's now seeing um, a slowdown uh, or a, a reduced number of people who are loving the sherry-matured Lagavulins and now seeing a rise in those loving the bourbon-matured Lagavulins. And one thing for Josh and I when we got into this is we knew sherry-matured sold really well and we would drink a lot of bourbon matured. And you just said a moment ago, you, you kind of prefer bourbon matured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love the fact that we're seeing this pendulum swing back towards bourbon matured. Um, and I'm somewhat surprised that people are swinging back to it because sherry did seem to be soaking in maturation. Is there anything that's surprising you as you're, as you're meeting people, talking to people and seeing markets? Well, I, I think the, wish, the whiskey enthusiast, the, the, the sort of uh, experienced whiskey lover... Uh, would probably steer towards the bourbon maturation mm-hmm. style because, uh, and the sherry is um, is more approachable. Mm-hmm. So if you're not such an experienced whiskey drinker, you might tend to steer yourself towards that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to put it bluntly, bourbon there's no hiding place with the spirit, mm-hmm. uh, and whereas in sherry there is. Uh, with our particular style here on Isla. You know, it's more difficult to work with sherry um, because the the peat and smoke and the the coastal characteristics and the peat uh, the the sherry notes tend to fight against each other quite a lot. Mm. Um, and you know, sulphur plays a part. Um, you know, all these things, and you've got to try and you know work your way through when you're selecting the cast to make a, a vatting. And it can be much tri- well, it's much trickier than than doing a straight bourbon vatting. Uh, because they all tend to be similar in mm-hmm. character and style, mm-hmm. um, not the same, but because that makes it all more interesting. But, but to me, bourbon, you just got a cleaner style, uh, and the the distillery characteristics shine through, mm-hmm. whereas might be obscured slightly in, in sherry. They're not always. There's some wonderful sherry Isla whiskies, and and you know I've been proud of the, some of the ones we've done, but. Maybe a bourbon sherry sort of vatting is 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 a balance that that works. Yeah. Um, so you you know, especially the young Kilhomans, if you just put a little bit of sherry in them, it dampens some of the 
the sort of spirit note or the, the vibrancy that you, you might want, not obscure, but just sort of to dampen down a bit. Sure. Uh, and therefore that seems to work quite well. Yeah. Sounds like you're <clears throat> describing the success of Macrobe. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's staggering that, um, that something so young has, <laughs> is, has certainly caught the imagination of people. It's been fortunate for us because it's allowed us to have enough stock of our older. Mm. Otherwise, we might be hard pushed to been releasing so many older releases uh, if we'd had to, to use more old stock in our Mackie Bay. Mm-hmm. But the sherry notes in that Mackie Bay um, certainly give it uh, a little more depth, uh, right. a bit more colour, but a bit more depth on the palate. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're delighted that people have enjoyed it. And I think it surprises people when they try it, that it is quite as young as it is. But it's worked. And, and I think, you know, people say, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to, we are going to put older ages in it. But, you know, are people going to enjoy it as much? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so you've got to, yeah, you've got to try You know, that's something that we'll have to look at because uh, we're going to put a, a bit more older stock into it um, going forward. And we'll see what people's comments are. I don't think we're going to make a big song and dance about it. We'll just see what, what happens. I think it, my own personal view, it, it needs a bit more depth in it. That's, but I love the freshness and the vibrancy Absolutely. of yeah. it. And it has yep. a character all its own. And the sweet style of the spirit just helps it mature relatively quickly. But I think more importantly is the, the, um, the, the cast that we use. You know, which are, are, are very good quality mm. uh, and mainly first fill. They're all first fill. So they give quite a big amount of um, character to the, the spirit maturing there at a relatively young age. So, yes, it's been fortunate. Uh, yes, we've been lucky that non-aged Singamore sort of hit the, hit the market at just at the right time for us. McAllen and others, you know, they, they had to do a different way. They ran out of old whiskey, so they, they started doing non-aged. <laughs> so it actually helped us massively um, in saying, you know, this is actually not, you know, this is, this is okay now. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, well, no, I'm talking, yeah, 15, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. People were not ready for trying a, a new single malt, non-age, three or four-year-old. That's well, sure. I'd still remember your anticipation release. Two and, years old, And yeah. anticipation was magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so as much as everyone's going to drink according to their own personal palate, I love Michael Holman young, you know? Yeah. So if it's anticipation into Macro Bay, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Am I paying close attention as it's getting older? You did the club release at 12 years old, the end of last year, got a bottle of that, thoroughly enjoyed that as well. But Cahoman young is really my wheelhouse in Cahoman bourbon. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, for me, you've done it right from the very beginning. And, and I, I don't want to ask you another economics question, but, but yeah. I'm going to ask you another economics question. <laughs> when, you, when you came out the door and you were using first fill Buffalo Trace casks and other American bourbons, wasn't that an expensive way to do business? Yeah, I mean, uh, for us to buy a full container, 210 casks, it took us sort of, you know, four or five months to, to fill them. Um, yeah, it was expensive, but it was important as far as I'm concerned, having come from the industry, knowing that the cask um, plays a massive part. Uh, and if we get that wrong, then Kilhoman's um, image will, will be um, compromised. So uh, it was important to get that right and invest heavily in our wood policy. And I think it's paid dividends. I agree 100 yeah. percent, which is yeah. why I asked the question. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah it's spot on. W- w- was that a 
suggestion by Dr. Jim Swan? Is that something that came from you? No, no, I think um, he, he was pretty adamant about how we should um, start the maturation, knowing that he wa- we wanted to release at a relatively young age. Initially, before we built the distillery, it was sort of maybe five years uh, minimum time okay. before we could release a single malt. But then it um, transpired that we could do it three, and it was felt that, uh, you know, it's an expensive business uh, producing uh, whiskey and, and not having an income. Uh, so, yeah, in discussion with Jim, it was very much a question of, right, we'll fill everything into first filled bourbon um, and some sherries. Uh, and that's all, everything will go into bourbon and sherry. Sure. And that's what it did for the first four or five years. It went into bourbon and sherry. Okay. Um, 80% bourbon and 20% sherry. Well, no, it was a bit, yeah, about, so, well, no, actually 70, 30. Uh, and then Jim was very keen on the, the, the balanced uh, vattings, you mm-hmm. know, bourbon and sherry. I then wanted to just mix it up and do straight bourbon and straight sherry, and he didn't seem to have a problem with that. Um, and uh, we'd just gone from there, really. Yeah, we were lucky that we had these um, contacts through Jim Swan yeah. from Bruffo Trace, who, who wouldn't supply us to start with. They um, wouldn't? Okay. They wanted to see us have a track record. Not um, They didn't know us, and, and mm-hmm. even Jim couldn't persuade them the first year. So we, we only started getting cars from the end of 2006. Okay. Before that, we were buying from the space side. Space side, yeah. Okay. And sherry the same. We we only um, started buying from Miguel Martin in two thousand and eight. Okay. Oh, um, that's a good good history with Miguel though. So yeah, you know, eleven years. And uh, it's been good, yeah. and and his casts have been great. And there's been pressure on both bourbon and sherry casts, empty mm. casts, and the sherry is more difficult, yeah. um, certainly. But Miguel's got a good setup. Um, so we're yeah. quite fortunate there. And I think the new series are struggling with their supply of casts, not just getting the consistent supply. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Buffalo Trace weren't allowing any new Scotch whiskey distilleries to buy from them, uh, maybe a year or two. Maybe they've opened the door now, I don't know. Mm. But I think it's quite important for all these distilleries to have a, a regular supply of casts to get the continuity. I think buying from the Cooperage, Speyside, you could argue you're getting good casts, but they're all slightly different. You don't have... Uh, the provenance, the history of them, particularly. You just get first fill. Yeah, you've got some first fill, but they could be Jack Daniels, mm. they could be Heaven Hill, they could be anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so you're going to get different styles coming from that. And I think, you know, the public are now very um, <clears throat> uh, well read and, and there's a huge amount of information uh, on social media. So you can't fool them anymore. Um, and they want the information. They want to know what you've matured it in and, and how long for. And they now want to know all about your yeast variety and your barley variety and your yields and your peating levels mm. and all these things. And I, you know, and it's all to do with the fact that distilleries have opened their doors because 30 years ago, well, probably maybe 40 years ago, you know, everything was top secret. You know, yeah. No distillery talked about anything they did yeah. behind yeah. the closed doors. And now in 40 years, it's transformed into this wonderful tourist attraction that's bringing income to you know these economically fragile areas of scotland which mm. is um which isla has been but no longer just due to the whiskey tourism really yeah. <clears throat> so i won't know until i play this back but there's a good chance our listeners are going to be hearing all this like steel work going on and and banging and and sawing and so for our listeners we're, we're on isla this is during vigil and this is the tuesday yes sir it's tuesday and your day is the thursday being built 
finalized building and started distilling in 2005. When did you start participating in the in the Fijil? 2004. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, we put up a marquee where the um, bottling warehouses and we just uh, invited people who to come along and to hear about this new distillery that was going to be built. okay uh, nothing had happened yeah uh, so that was 2004 and and then we've done it every year since and so what what were you expecting well we didn't have very many people right <laughs> uh, we had some journalists and uh, and we had inquisitive people who wanted to hear about this mad Englishman who was coming to Ireland to build a distillery, um, <laughs> thinking he'd fall flat on his face. Uh-huh. And yeah. there weren't new distilleries being built. Aaron was built in 95. Before that, you're going back to the 60s um, yeah, when exactly. one or two distilleries were built. So <clears throat> it was something that no one was particularly uh, enthusiastic about. Yeah. I think they thought I was going completely out on a limb and was a bit nuts um, and there were more than enough distilleries in Scotland yeah. and yes that's an argument you could you <laughs> yeah. could uh, put to people saying you know there are over 100 distilleries in Scotland there are seven on Isla why would you need another one and mm. and yeah they've got a point I think I've proved the point because now there are a huge number of distilleries right. in Scotland that yeah. have been built since I built Kilhoman and continue to be built I'm glad we did when we did it was hard work uh, it was a huge commitment and yeah, I mean, I think you have to be a bit crazy to do it because of the uh, cash required to to, sure. to to do it and then to hold your nerve when you don't know how the whiskey is going to mature, Yeah, uh, how quickly you can get your product to the market, how quick is it going to be successful? Are the public going to be interested in it? I think what helped us hugely was the general groundswell of interest in mm. single malt around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all happened at the time I was building the distillery or just yeah. before. Yeah. Independent bottlers set the uh, trend um, and they were the ones who made the public and the industry realise, you know, single cars from single distilleries were quite interesting and mm-hmm. different from what they they churned out on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, I looked at that and, and saw an opening. Uh, mm. Yeah, you've got to be a bit mad. And yes, you've got to take a risk. I mean, sure enough, we could have lost everything. And, and you know, the first five years were, were pretty hard work. Um, yeah. we, we were constantly looking for more money. But I, I think you've got to go through those times yeah. to appreciate the good times. And we're, we're working as hard as ever. We're not uh, resting on our laurels, thinking we've done the job. And I think, uh, mm. you know, I've got my three sons in the business. And I think that motivates you to to continue yeah. uh, the journey. So that's why we've embarked on this expansion. <clears throat> Is there anything you would have done different? Just looking back? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, there wasn't the same amount of um, professional support and help available to me um, when I started. So although Jim Swan was there, he's not an engineer. So putting the dis- he was the one who designed the kit, but then actually installing it and and um, uh, having the expertise around me then was was lacking. Mm. So, and we cut corners, you know, in simple things, you know, with a boiler, you know, we got a secondhand boiler. Well, mm. pretty stupid really, because, you know, <laughs> if you don't have a boiler that works, then you don't have a distillery that operates. So, you know, simple things like that. Yeah, so we spent a lot of money that we could have saved. Uh, yeah, we would have done things differently. Um, but I think... Um, and it's interesting that when we were up and running and we were making a go of it, um, most new distillers in Scotland came to see us. Um, 
and uh, I gave them lots of free advice um, <laughs> on what not to do because I think yeah. suddenly they all had someone to talk to, not just me. I mean, there were plenty of people who came out of the woodwork who became consultants, hmm. uh, ex-distillery managers who, who'd yeah. retired and suddenly realised that there was a bit of consultancy work to be had if they um, helped distiller, new distilleries um, get up and running. So I th- we didn't have that. Uh, and... Um, yeah, we made lots of mistakes and we spent a lot of money putting them right. Mm-hmm. And But the new still house that we put in, we knew what we needed to do and uh, and we've got the experience now to make sure it, um, it it works properly and we don't have to go back and, and refit things. On the flip side of that, is there anything you look back on and you think, holy shit, we got that right from day one and maybe that was unexpected or maybe you took a chance? or I think locating it on the farm where we did, having... A unique selling point, a point of difference has, has made a massive difference. But the biggest uh, and most important decision that we made was undoubtedly locating it here on Isla. Mm. Um, Scotland's a big place. Just building your distillery anywhere in Scotland won't cut it in, in the export market particularly. Sure. And I think you have to have a, a provenance, a tradition, a history of distilling uh, to really capture people's imagination. It might be a bit easier now, and people are now prepared to experiment a bit more, but certainly, as far as I was concerned, Isla was the most important decision we made. And the main reason was that, because of Isla's popularity in, mm-hmm. in whiskey style and character, uh, small island off the west coast of Scotland, seven, eight distilleries, and four or five of those, just brands that had done a massive, massive job around the world, and then this little chap turns up and says he's going to build one on Isla. And, and people were fascinated because all the distilleries, apart from Brewer Laddie, were owned by the big conglomerates. So when it came to finding distributors, you know, every worthwhile importer distributor mm-hmm. wants an Isla on their, mm-hmm. in their portfolio. Well, they mm-hmm. couldn't get it because most of them had their own distribution agreements uh, in those markets. So, you know, that was key for us. And I think locating it on a farm and having that point of difference uh, has also been key because more and more people are interested in the provenance and the history of a product, the traceability, uh, going to a distillery and, and, and seeing the whole process from growing the barley mm. right the way through. We're less corporate uh, visitor attraction. It's a working farm. I, you know, that's the way I like it. It, it, but might not, it doesn't suit a lot of people, but I think... You get a different experience here than maybe some of the others. But there's room for all of us. And I think that's important. We wouldn't be doing sitting here doing what we're doing if the big guys hadn't done a pretty good job in promoting Scotch whiskey around the world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, good. One last question before we have our very final question, if that's okay, if you have time. Yep. Uh, so the, the penultimate question, if you will. Gosh. <clears throat> so the Anthony Wills from 2004... Do you think he would have conceived of where you are now? Absolutely not. Um, I thought it was a good idea. I thought there might be appeal for what we were doing, but I never imagined that we'd be, you know, employing 35 people and exporting to over 50 markets. No, I don't. (laughs) No, not in my wildest dreams did I think that. Yes, I thought that we... We, we had a chance of, uh, of some success, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have, had never put a number on that. And that's where you, you know, entrepreneurs are risk takers and you see that there is a possibility of something working and you don't listen to anybody 
in the financial world because if you did, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, but now, you know, everyone thinks it's it's a normal thing to build a distillery. You mm. know, it's very normal, and uh, you know, no one bats an eyelid that there might be another two or three built on Isla. Yeah. And it's happening all over the world. Yeah. So we must have done something right. I'm not saying I'm a genius and that I came up with the idea, but I think that we were ahead of the game. Yeah. And being ahead of the game has helped us hugely in establishing ourselves before everybody else came along and built a distillery. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the ones that are building them now or, or just starting to make spirit, the ones that will succeed are the ones that are in the market, in the trade already. They, they've been involved in the whiskey industry. They know the route to market, which I think is, is more important than people actually... They they don't think about that so so much because I think uh, they think you build a distillery and you open the door and And you you put a sale sign up and you sell your whiskey, but it doesn't work like that. So I think there's going to there's going to be interesting times over the next for Scotch whiskey because I know Scotch whiskey intimately and I don't know the rest of the world so so well. But I think it's going to be more difficult to establish your new brand and your new distillery Mm. in a very overcrowded marketplace. You know we found it tough and you get to a, you know we've had four five or six years of steady growth and and then you've got to take it to the next level mm. if you want to continue that path which we do and it's not easy mm. so you know i think everyone thinks that scotch whiskey you just sort of go click your fingers and everything happens well <laughs> it bloody doesn't <laughs> um, and uh, they're gonna have a shock yeah yeah because you, they think that they can just do a bit of PR and a bit of social media work and then everyone's going to be crowding around them to get their whiskey. I think the issue is that, you know, there's an overcrowded place there already. These specialist retailers or hotels or bars or whatever they are have a huge selection already. Yeah. And it's not just Scotch whiskey. Right. Yeah. It's, it's spirits from all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's seen the, the rise in gin and rum now is making a big impact, tequila and mezcal and all these things. So whereas Scotch whiskey probably had a bit of a free run at it for a while, it doesn't anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's see what happens. But I'm, we've established ourselves in a small way and now we have to work doubly hard to continue that journey. Yeah, we, we were having a similar conversation with, with Dave Broom about all these different categories of spirit. And it gets down to shelf space. There's only so many bottles, only so many well, types. That- it, and consumers only have so many pens <coughs> in their pocket to spend. Right. Right. Consumers are finite as well. So. Um, but I think consumers have changed their habits quite a lot over the last 10, 10 or 15 years. And I think um, they, the 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 key brands the, the well-known key brands are finding it harder mm-hmm. um there's but they're still the ones that are flying the flag i'm talking scotch here you know so they go into south america or they go into china they go into yeah. mexico yeah. you know and they're just starting to drink whiskey so they're going to be on the johnny walkers and the deluxe planes and all the rest and yeah. for the next five ten years that will happen and then we'll be cruising in behind that just getting a little slice of the action and we've seen that happening in china for instance mm where for the last 15 years, everybody's been talking China up. This is a massive market out there. and You know, it's going to be absolutely huge. Well, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happening now for the big guys. I think it's really happening. I mean, and that's why McAllen and people have, have mm. you know, done what they have and invested 40 million or whatever they have. And, um, you know, Asia's a huge market for them, but China's clearly got massive, massive potential. 
And, you know, we're in there in a very small way, but everyone said, oh, well, you must be sending to China. Well, it wasn't on the radar as far as we're concerned because it mm. wasn't a mature enough market. But, you know, I see massive growth around the world because of what the big guys are doing. Mm. So whereas you've got a mature European market, they've pulled out. They've gone off to Asia. Mm, they've yeah. gone to India. Well, India's very tough so because of the tax regime, but China, massive. And then South America, Africa. And this is where we are hugely in debt to the big guys for doing all the bloody work and spending all the money. And, and then we can just sort of, you know, yeah. sneak in. Sneak in the back door. Yeah, sneak in the back door. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I don't know if I'm going to take a question out of your mouth, given that you are wrapping it up here. Uh, given that we're talking about the future here, what's the thing you're most excited about for Cahoman over the next 5, 10, 15, 25 years? Let's I think... We're excited that we got the new still house in. We're excited that we're building a new visitor center so we can really uh, look after our customers and, and uh, visitors uh, in a way that we haven't been able to up until now. You know, I think they're hugely exciting times for a distillery like ourselves, having uh, been around now for 14 years. Um, and uh, we'll continue this journey and we, we need to be innovative. We need to keep in the public eye. So we just need to keep doing what we're doing and doing it well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've got three sons who are going to be taking over the business. And, and really, that's what's driven me to do what I've done. I probably wouldn't have invested so heavily in a new still house if, if I was on my own and the boys weren't involved. I think, you know, we've made a massive commitment. All our, any profit we've made, plus more, and banks have helped uh, support and, and to fund what we've done. Uh, but it's for the future growth of the business. So mm -hmm. to double production is, is the right Thing. I'm very happy and, and content that we've done that because it now means we won't have to uh, allocate into the markets. Now, yeah. we didn't want to be in a place like that because it, in three or four years' time, we would be if we mm. continued the growth we've got. So sure. we've done it at the right time. We can now just carry on doing what we're doing and, and hopefully people continue enjoying the, the whiskies that we're putting out there. Terrific. Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll return to the good Anthony Wills in a little bit of time. We still have a misconception to get from him, which he covered a few different bases mm. in his misconception as well. And, and all of it is well worth our time. So, so sincere thanks to Anthony for taking the time. Like we say, it was for Shiel. Everybody was busy. Setup was happening for their Thursday open day. When the weather was going to go from brilliant, mm. bright sunshine and a clear blue sky. Yeah to absolutely pissing down. Exactly. And as much as you and I were off the island by the Thursday, we saw the photos and, yeah, it was as wet <laughs> as the weatherman had <laughs> forecast. Yeah, this time the weatherman had, got, had gotten it right. Um, but, yeah, I just want to echo what you said, uh, an echo of thanks to Anthony, because that was a busy day for him. He was running around putting out fires, just, you know, making sure things were getting done, entertaining Dave Broom, who happened to be with him that day, who we got to interview, which is really good. And that's going to be our next episode. I'm very excited about that as well. But there was no reason he did not need to put an hour of his time aside for us. And and the fact that he did that and and did so in a relaxed manner, was uh, I can't thank him enough. So, so yeah, I will was tremendous. thank him. Yeah, 
So with that said, yep. we're going to bypass the paperboy this week. Uh, you dropped a very quick little note in the very beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. I will drop in a, a very quick little note here that the MGP, the batch that we released online, mm-hmm. has been shipping on a week-by-week basis, mm-hmm. 100 bottles a week. Lovely job. And by the time this episode goes live, we should be getting close to being done with all the shipping of that. Be sure, if you, whether you did or did not secure uh, one of the online bottles, also go in search of the retail bottling. I've been telling a lot of people about the batch, the second batch that went to retail, yeah. yep. and it's well worth putting them side by side. I've actually led a tasting uh, locally where we put them side by side, mm. and it is, it's remarkable to see what it'll do at 54%, what it'll do at 51%, how the slight variation in the cask makeup will Mm. affect some of the flavors in the finished product. Did did people find it? I haven't... Oh, yes. It's it's been a while since I did the side-by-side. Oh, yes. But people were finding the the big differences, right? Yeah. Uh, Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I maybe wouldn't go with... Big differences, but I think they're they're quite big in their own subtle way, where they yeah. don't seem like interchangeable whiskeys. Yeah, we, right, right. We we definitely wanted to have two whiskeys that are their own, have their own personalities. Obviously, you know, just like bourbon, you can say bourbon is delicious, and they can be so different. At the end of the day, it's it's still bourbon. Um, and, and I think the same rings true here. It's like, yes, these are very different light whiskeys. At the end of the day, it's, it's light whiskey and they're going to fit within a certain box, but there's so much room within that box to find lots of, uh, you know, points of difference. Correct. hundred yeah. 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 cool. percent. So there you go. So very quick, uh, news comment. They are not even worth waking the paper boy for, but we do have a lengthy email that we did want to take uh, a little moment yes. to unpack. Do you, did you want me to read that or would you like to read it? Um, I have to read it off my phone and right now you are on my phone, so it's going to have to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is from Elijah, is it Amon? Amon? Sure. I think it's Amon. We're, we're back to breaking up the syllables in people's names. This <laughs> is how we... <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> then it's Amon. I think that's it. I think Elijah will be like, yep, that's how you pronounce my last name. Thank you. Um, So he is, so full disclosure, he, uh, Elijah is with JVS Imports, who is our California distributor. Uh, But he's, he is a whiskey guy and he's, he, uh, he's voracious in his, um, uh, his appetite is a voracious one when it comes to learning more and more about whiskey. Yeah, it was right. it was perfect timing. And I saw him in January, met him for the very first time and, and spent a day working with him in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And really energetic, young, go-getting kind of guy who was thirsty for Scotch information and, and whiskey information. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, Joshua and I have a, have a podcast. He said, what's it called? And he subscribed then and there. And then this email just came in somewhat recently. Yeah. And and he said, I, I did it. <laughs> I, I'm all caught up. It only took me four months, but I'm caught up. Oh, and, 
and actually in four weeks I'll be seeing him again in Orange oh, nice. County. Oh, uh, nice. Which will, I think will be a couple of weeks after this episode. Yeah, okay. It'll be four weeks. Shit, where are we? When's this go live? Please remove this nonsensical No, I'm keeping portion. this in. Because, no, you're not. No, you're because not. you and no. I, in the last episode, no. you really talked about how important it was to make sure that people understand how many weeks from the dropping of the episode episode like i think this is very important for our listeners well to, you were to going know. backwards i'm you were going backwards and wasting everybody's time i'm going forwards and wasting everybody's time we all so. get to the same place jason so i yeah. guess i'll see him two weeks after this episode drops there are many paths to god as they say jason <laughs> um <laughs> elijah's whiskey jedi he's not god <laughs> his name's elijah though i'll tell you uh, every passover i do i leave uh, the door open leave for the him. door open i got a chair for him I put a little wine in his cup. I put some water in Miriam's cup. And uh, I tell you, Elijah has yet to come to my house. It's a long way to come from Orange County for a cheap glass of wine. (sighs) Poor whiskey, he'll be there. I I put some 1981 Pomerol into the glass. I'm like, if that's that's not going to bring anybody to, to my house... It's like either that or maybe I bring like the milkshakes. But if I do a milkshake. I knew, I knew where that was going. I knew exactly where that was going. I had milkshake pop into my head 15 seconds before you started going that direction. Am, am I that predictable? Oh my God. Am I that predictable? Or you're like, I know how funny Joshua is and I know where he's going to go. Let's go with predictable. <laughs> so you know how funny I am. Okay, good. Um, I'm predictably funny. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so what does Elijah say in his email? He says, hello, Jason and Joshua, or Joshua and Jason. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's covering his basis, and, 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 and I, I appreciate that. He says, See, he's a smart man. I told you this. <laughs> and the way he opens it up is actually a nice little without him knowing, a nice little callback to our episode with David Turner when we were talking about mm. people calling into radio shows. He says, uh, short-time listener, first time reaching out. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to your podcast over the past few months. Started exactly four months ago, and I just caught up. You made my commutes around SoCal a lot less stressful oh i can't even imagine driving around southern california <laughs> like you want to drive 10 feet and and why would you drive 10 feet because you can but it will take you seven hours to get there um it's, uh, aaron Krauss knows what we're talking about yeah you know what i saw him the other day i know you did yeah, anyway. <laughs> i saw his photos Okay. Uh, He says, as someone who not only reps Single Cast Nation to my various accounts, but is also a huge fan of the whiskeys you put out, I'd like to share a list of questions, comments, and (laughs) reflections that I've compiled over the past three seasons. He said, feel free to answer any question on or off the air. So the first question, and he says, this is first and the most important question. How did you get Chris Udy to sit down and talk to you and pay attention. <laughs> Tell me the secret. <laughs> uh, so, well, it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, I don't think we made a, a secret 
of it in the the episode where you had been at Kilholman for the day. There had been some drams. You were on a couch late at night with mm-hmm. more Kilholman drams. I think the alcohol had got him slowed down to a point where he would actually stay in one place for more than 30 seconds. Well, I, th- I think the other trick to it is we had this conversation well past midnight. Yep. <laughs> right? So, A, he needs to have some whiskey in him. And B, he needs to be tuckered out from a full day of <laughs> of just stuff. So get him tired, get him drunk. Wow, this sounds this sounds like a terrible instructional. If you well, want, gonna, to, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say this is exactly how we raised our kids. <laughs> you get them out of the house early. You get uh-huh. them running around. You get yeah, them tuckered. Yeah, yeah. You get them home and get them fed and watered, and yeah. then you get them in their bed. And if worse comes to worse, give them some Benadryl. That'll put them out. Yeah, right. <laughs> So there you go, yeah. Keep the Benadryl for when Chris Udi isn't sitting there listening to you. Yeah, yeah. And then his next question, he says, you guys got to try the Tamdu 50-year-old and shared nothing about the experience. Care yeah. to, do you care to share what it was like? Nope. Next question. <laughs> really? You don't nope. Care? Yeah. We said everything we needed to say about it. Next. Wow. You heard you heard it, Elijah. Think of the remember this. When Jason is with you four weeks well, depending on when this airs, <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna be too. <laughs> What's the next question? He says, Oh my gosh. This isn't a question. This is just a statement that that warms my heart. It warms my heart. Uh, it fills my soul with gladness. He says... Oh it's about Joshua. We know this much. It starts off, it says, Joshua, comma, <laughs> I'd like to experience a New Haven pizza tour with you oh, one day. Next oh, question. <laughs> God bless you. New Haven pizza is next. where it's at. And you need to come over. And we'll have good whiskey and good pizza and you'll be in heaven. Heaven, you're in heaven. Okay. Oh, can I say something really quickly? Uh, it's your podcast as much as it is mine. So, as you know, in our last podcast, a song had come to mind, and I sang it. And uh, it was One Step Over the Line. I mm. thought it was One Step Over the Line, but the lyric mm. is actually, One toke over the line, Lord Jesus, one toke over the line. And I'd said one step, but I got the cadence correct. I got the uh, the key correct. I messed up on a word, and I I needed to bare my soul there and let you know that I, instead of toke, I said step. But I had kids in mind. I didn't want the kids to hear about people smoking drugs. If we're going to start doing corrections every episode, we're going to have to create a new podcast. <laughs> Corrections with Jason Johnston Yellen. <laughs> okay, next. Okay, okay. It says, I've recently acquired a Caddenhead's 1979 18-year-old Talisker, quote, sherry wood that I bought from a collector. Mm. Now, I've had sherry matured whiskey that has a slight stinky sulfuric note to it, but this is an entirely different mm. animal. This is like 
heavy, dank sulfur, peat, red wine vinegar, and sea salt all jam-packed into this whiskey. I've heard people hmm. say that they used to burn sulfur, sulfur candles and casks. Can you guys talk more about that sulfur note that you get out of some old sherry cask matured whiskeys? Yeah, I think this fits lovely given that we talked a little bit about sherry maturation with Anthony in today's episode. And we're starting to see that pendulum swing away from some of the big sherry uh, towards some crisper bourbon maturation. Mm-hmm. However, you and I have talked about it uh, very recently about the German market being known for those nice big farty sherry whiskies, mm-hmm. and I, I think some of it is coming from you know they're still continuing to use sherry candles in some instances. Sulfur candles. To, sorry, you said sherry candles. They're sulfur candles. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what a sherry candle would smell like, though, <laughs> now that I've had that idea. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the sulfur candles are still in use. Some producers are reaching out to say, please ship these without the use of sulfur candles. Which gets tricky. I mean, part of the reason why sherry producers want to use the candle is especially in the summertime, if they're dealing with shipping casks in the summer, you're dealing with extreme temperatures in Hereth, you know, you're looking at 40 degrees Celsius and um, they're using these sulfur candles to ensure that, you know, bacteria doesn't grow, things like that. Bacterial growth. Bacterial growth and, and just to ensure that the cask doesn't get tainted. However, those sulfur candles can potentially taint the cask a little bit and give you, you know, increase the amount of sulfur that you're going to get from a sherry cask. Yeah, and I think that's the trade-off for any producer is you want to prevent the the sherry in the cask from taking on some of that vinegar note mm-hmm. that Elijah's talking about there yeah. in the talisker that he's got. At the same time, you know if you put a sulfur candle in there, you are going to get some, even if it's a distant echo, you're going to get some sulfur in there. So are you better with the devil you know than the devil you don't? Are you better taking the risk or guarding against it? I think Elijah gets to see what happens when you guard against it Mm. and it goes wrong in transport. And and then at the end of the day, it becomes a, a talking piece, right? Everything that happens to a whiskey that ends up in the bottle becomes a talking piece. Whether you love it, you hate it, mm. whether it needs more oxidation. You know, and that you know, Elijah doesn't say how long he's had the bottle open, but my guess would be as he's got that bottle open and as he drinks through it, he'll find some of the the more negative qualities yeah. rounding out and and maybe receding a little. They may very well always be there. Yeah. But they may take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. Take more of a backseat. Oxygen is is surely your friend in this case. One suggestion that I have, and this is for Elijah, this is for for anyone really. If you have a sherried whiskey that is just coming off a bit too sulfury for you, you can take like a wine aerator and um, put your whiskey through a wine aerator a, a few times and then put it back into your bottle. 
and and I've done that with a couple whiskeys, and it's you know it's not it's not a cure all. It doesn't take away one hundred percent of it, but it definitely helps subdue that note. Helps to cancel it out a little bit. So, and you can find a good aerator for fifteen twenty bucks. Um, yeah, so that's that's a suggestion for him and and anyone who wants to kind of tame the beast, as you will. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay, next we're racing through these. I like yeah, this. yeah. This is this is good. I like this. And now, now <laughs> it this... might involve not answering some more things, but here we are. <laughs> I don't know if you want to answer this. Well, we have an answer to okay. it, and it's not the answer that that he or anyone's going to like. He says, "Oh boy, when is the Worm Tub episode coming out?" Oh yeah, yep. Still working on it. Next. <laughs> <laughs> so well, let's let's talk to it a little bit. We were meant to have a conversation with Lee Watson of Springbank. Uh, we did th- mention that in a podcast. Yep. Uh, but this was during the Campbelltown Fest. And even though we were lucky to get David Turner and Anthony Wills during Fijil, uh, you can't always be lucky. Uh, Lee was a very busy yep. person and uh, it just didn't work out. So we were hoping to, we have Malcolm Waring who who handles Bal Blair and Old Pulteney, like that that range. And we wanted to get at least Lee and then and then we can work from there. But we need at least one more interview. So once we clinch that, we're going to post. We're going to build and then post our Worm Tubs episode. Yeah, I'm excited for it when it happens. But I, I and I want more people than you want. I, I want a, a range of people's voices. But you know, it'll come. All good things come to those who wait. What if it ends up being just like a shit episode? What if we never post it? What if What if today's episode is the last episode? Like end on a high note, and we never released it after having <laughs> promised it for three years straight. <laughs> Given that we're the guys who mothballed Whiskey Jubilee without really any notice, we should probably be careful in what we say might be the last time we ever do anything on a given day. We notified people. After we mothballed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Point, meet Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> All right, his, his final, final thing. He says, podcast idea, which, Mm -hmm. and we've gotten some podcast ideas from people like uh, James Foster has given us some ideas that have been very good. Michael Nolan. Uh, Michael Nolan as well. Uh, So this one's from Elijah and says, could you possibly interview some younger gentlemen or ladies in the industry? I started working at JVS when I was 24, now 26. Most of my whiskey drinking friends clubs and tastings are people that are like 15 to 20 years older than I am. I feel like it's a misconception that old rich men drink scotch. (laughs) It would be nice to know if there are some other young influencers out there just as passionate about whiskey. You brought up an excellent point. You know, we spoke with Matthew Hoffman, who's been on this podcast Mm -hmm. four times now, and I don't think he's 30 yet. So yeah, I, I don't think he's thirty yet either. Um, so we've got him going. Um, there's a chap, Alan Grablauskas, who is head of the beverage program at OML in DC, and I just interviewed him, and he's not thirty yet. Okay. Um, it's kind of awkward because it's not like we really go around asking people their birth. Well, we do ask people their birth years when they seem to be around 
73, 74 like you and me, mm. we don't tend to ask people their birth years when they tend to be mid to late 80s. And certainly not if there's a 90 involved. Oh, <laughs> gosh, that would just make me feel far too old. So, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm just trying to think, actually. If Elijah is 26, he was born in the 1990s. Shut the front door. Wow. Yeah, this Wait. is why we don't do it, Elijah. It just makes us depressed. And us being depressed doesn't make for good episodes. What year was it 26 years ago? Is that so 93? Yeah. I graduated high school in 91. God yeah. damn it. Yep. Yeah, I graduated in 92. We're not going to interview any young people. I was, at, I was at university the first time uh, when Elijah was born. Aww. Ah, so anyway, the, the point is well taken, though. We are always looking for younger men and women uh, in the industry with whom to speak. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. There's a great point, though. It, it is a good point. Yeah, it's it's all about diversity. And the good news is in the whiskey world... We're seeing an increasing amount of diversity, but you're still dealing with some older white folk out there uh, who typically yeah. tend to be men. Uh, yeah. But but you know we're we're just looking to talk to good, interesting people that that also want to talk to us. So, yeah. but we, we interviewed will, Jen yeah. Nickerson. She must be young. Yeah, she is young. Well, younger than well, compa- a lot of people are younger than we are. <laughs> she must be young. How old is that whippersnapper? <laughs> yeah, she's but a but a bairn. <sighs> All right. So he ends off his email saying, "Thank you guys for everything you do. I've learned so much with your podcast, and I'm extremely proud to rep Single Cast Nation. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Elijah, for your question. Thank you for being a a good salesman for Single Cast Nation and a good ambassador." For our brand as absolutely. well, yeah, we really appreciate. Yeah, it. no, I, I, I absolutely fell in love with them when I first met him in January. So enthusiastic and passionate, and looking to learn so much. Yeah, and really loves what we do with the brand, and really represents it as if it's his own. And and Good. we can't ask for more than that. Good. Uh, he's also the chap that when people say to me, "Hey, where can I get?" Uh, single cast nation ship to me or where can i get it you know near la uh, he's the guy i text beautiful uh elijah give me some information and he does right away because he's a he's a busy boy he's a workaholic yeah well so elijah thanks for the email elijah yeah and, I, and I, I look forward to seeing you and working with you very soon and i hope to to see you uh, sometime in california if if jason ever allows me there and um, uh, i believe you saw him last september September in uh, San Francisco. I I did, but you know, <laughs> but that was. Different. I just want the listenership to know that you did a stealth trip to San Francisco when Jason continually gets shit for keeping you out of California. Well, the point that I'm trying to make here is whether 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 it's on his side of the country or during Passover on on my side of the country. There's always a chair and a glass of wine ready for him. Trouble is, when he visits you for Passover, you can't take him for pizza. No, that, no, but I make incredible matzo pizza. Said nobody ever. Says my, my daughters love my matzo pizza. 
We it is a tradition in this house, so you could suck. <laughs> Let it. me just say, we also have the tradition of matzo pizza. Yeah. Nobody said in their life, "I make great matzo pizza." I that is wrong because I just said it. That's <laughs> I'm glad I can bookend <laughs> this episode with nobody being called Martin and nobody in the nation being called Martin, <laughs> and nobody claiming that they make excellent matzo pizza. Uh, Today's episode has been brought to you by the letter M and the holiday Passover. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should we head on down the Sesame Street here, mate? Let's let's ease on down the road, as they would say. That's exactly it. (laughs) Ease on down, ease on down the road. Do-do-do-do-do-do. He's on down, he's on down. Um, Honestly, I, I don't think you can think about Sesame Street without thinking about The Wiz. Was there a connection? I, I don't remember. I remember seeing it as as a as a little kid and loving it, loving the songs. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think they're I think they're the same. I don't I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> Listeners, questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. Uh, if if Jason. Oh, speaking of which. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. So so please please email us if if Jason is wrong about anything, but also. <laughs> If you ha- if you have a question like Elijah did, and you want to reach out to us, we haven't said this in a while. We have please it. please reach out to us. You can email us questions at one nation under You could tweet at us at one nation whiskey. You can send us a Facebook message. Uh, just go to facebook.com and, and search for one nation under whiskey, and you can you can send us a message there. Um, or I guess you could even. Instagram us at One Nation Under Whiskey, and you can send us a message that way. And if you like our podcast, which we hope you do, uh, if you would be so kind as to go to uh, iTunes and and give us a, a five star rating, uh, four star is, is is acceptable as well. And if you want to use some nice words and say nice things, we would we would be forever grateful. I do wonder about the difference between a four star and a five star. Like when I read a review on Amazon, mm. the person's like, this was great. It did everything I wanted it to. Four stars. I'm kind of like, really it needed to surprise you in some way? Like it's a butter dish. Like how can a butter dish <laughs> surprise you? Like, well, that's, that's an exacting standard. It's not too different from some reviews of whiskeys you see where they say, oh, perfect, flawless, uh, impeccable, crystalline, 89 points. Like, well, wait a second. That's zero to 100, perfect, crystalline, immaculate. These all mean 100. They don't mean 89. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Some people, some people, Josh, just have exacting standards. So save yourself the internal deliberation. If you're thinking, is it four? Is it five? Just give it five stars. It's five. Yeah. Just give it five. When in doubt, it's five stars. Just make life easy on yourself. So, okay. Well, I'm off back to summer living. Well, we have to, we have to hand the microphone back over to, to Anthony. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's. Let's do this then. Let's just say our goodbyes, hand it to him, and call it a day. Oh, you want to do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so thanks to Anthony again. We'll leave you in his capable hands. Thanks to Joshua for the editing. 
Thanks to me for making time in my hectic summer schedule. Mm. Thanks to my wife. <laughs> it's turned into Emmy Award winning. <laughs> Emmy Award. It always comes back to Matthew yeah. Reese, that man trying to usurp my oh. business position. So you could, you could have kept. You got to watch the Welsh. You got to keep an <laughs> eye know. on them. I know. Um, if if had you kept on going on with your thank yous, I was going to start <laughs> fading the music in. Just like like, come on, you know. Uh, get get the big you know the hook cane that pulls you <laughs> off of the off of the stage. <laughs> I'm actually oh, these, these are my these are my last words. Mm. I'm actually gonna go and mm. open a beer oh. called Kai Goes to the Beach, which is from a brewery owned and operated by one of our nation members, David Hartogs, and his brother. Where did he use, get the name Kai from? Was that inspiration from you and your son? Uh, no, it's the brewer's son. It's called Kai. And Kai in Hawaiian means water or ocean. Oh, okay. And Kai in our life, my eldest son, we went with Kai, but didn't want him called Chai his entire life. And so we dropped the H for his, his normal version of his name. Mm-hmm. And so he's a C-A-I, and this one that I will be drinking is a K-A-I. All right. I'll I'll tell you, those Rocket Frog beers, what David Hartogs is doing, and he's been a nation member since the very beginning, Mm -hmm. and you and I have been speaking to him since the beginning, and I remember him coming to me saying, you know, we're working on our business plan for Mm -hmm. the brewery, (laughs) you know, looking to really make this happen, and just to know about this project before it was, you know, when it was just thoughts around him and him and his brother's heads and and now here it is and he's got crazy good beers coming out um i think yep. they're i think they're still only available in virginia but i got some in sneaky ways here and there <laughs> yeah this is a pink guava goza fuck yes and it's going to be perfect for this summer's day in virginia so, I'm all out of words, and I'm all ready to get some beer down my gullet. I'm all out of words. I'm so lost without you. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I think you get lots of weird questions, actually. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it's moved on a lot. I think, you know, the colour from the whiskey, people weren't really that familiar mm. with, you know, they never really thought about it being clear when it comes out from the sill and mm. that's the colour's natural um, because they've been told that a lot of caramels added to the standard bottlings uh, okay. um, and that colour comes from the caramel so yeah I've had those those odd questions and um, the floor maltings is something that people really don't understand at all okay. <laughs> they tend not to you, they think that you take the barley and you just chuck it up on the floor and peat it <coughs> um, they don't realise you have to um, actually break the dormancy and to germinate it and all the rest. So there's some interesting things but that people come up with and the water is the other thing. Okay. So it's, it's peaty in colour, so they think it's going to taste peaty, but yeah. it doesn't taste peaty. Yeah. Okay? So, and you hear people talk about the peatiness from the whiskey comes from the water that they use mm. uh, and not from the way 
that you actually peat your malt in barley. That's a good point. I remember hearing people talk about Bunahab in that way. Yeah. You know, oh, they've, they've got really dark peaty dark water, peat so that's, that's where the peat comes yes. from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So uh, that's, that's probably more common than anything about uh, the color of the water, and, and, and therefore it's very peaty. Don't drink it. It's, it'll, it's very um, medicinal. Have you ever had anything really weird where you've just kind of looked at the person and said, I've, I've no idea in God's green earth how you could have come up with that? I think the, the, the issue now is that, that there is so much information out there mm. that you probably do your, your uh, homework before you arrive, if you're that um, way inclined. You do your homework <laughs> yeah, before yeah. you arrive. So, you know, 15, 20 years ago, or 20 years ago now, you, you didn't have that to hand. So I think you got more obscure questions or ones you looked at the person and wondered what they were talking about. Mm. But... I don't think that happens nearly as much as it used to easy, because easy, uh, you can just go press a button, Google it, can't Interesting. you? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're the type of person who would ask a question at a tasting, you're the type of person who would have researched it before you got there. You wouldn't just jump into some I try, well, me personally. No, 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 for a, oh, for a consumer I, coming to your tasting. I definitely think that most consumers that come to distilleries now they're there because they have a love of that whiskey. They, they might well be coming for the first time, but they've, they know whiskey in general, mm. and they don't have such a... They, they know more about it than you imagine. Um, and 20 years ago, it would have been completely different. I'm not saying that that's a general norm, but yep. on the whole, people going on tours here have a basic knowledge, a basic knowledge. But the floor maltings is something that they don't really understand because they don't see it. Yeah. You yeah. don't see it. Yeah. Um, you go into a distillery and you see the distills and then you go into the warehouse and yeah. you might get to see the cast, but you don't see the, the front end yeah. because the front end <laughs> is not important to a lot of distilleries. So that's important for us because it showcases something that's different and people are fascinated by it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Thanks a million for your time. Yeah, yeah, really. And even more than your time, your honesty. Uh, You're very candid, and that means the world to Mm. us. And sharing that with our listeners will be fantastic. So thank you, sir. Good. No, it's a pleasure. Cheers. 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 Easy. Says you. I don't know how much effort that took. <laughs> I'm exhausted already. <sighs> I'm, I feel I feel awake. I feel alive after having done that. Right. It's like liftoff. Okay. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. I played Delma Space Oddity. Oh yeah. The other day, she loves. She loves David Bowie. She specifically loves the Hunky Dory album. And... A horse. Horse and buggy just went past the front door. Fucking Mennonites. Every time. Um, Dog fucking hates them. So, yeah, she loves Hunky Dory. She, She really likes the Ziggy Stardust album. So I decided to play her Space Oddity, which is... A very different album than those but the song i love the song and i thought she would dig it and she was like oh that was a long song i don't know why i just got into saying that is there a reason i started talking about david Bowie? oh oh because because he does the countdown in the song while he's singing there's the 
10, 9, 8. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just thought it was a long story to get to her saying, that was a long song. It's, it is a long song. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. You're not She's wrong. Just an <laughs> We both got there. We both got there. <sighs> okay. Are you, so, yeah. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My kids are going to be home from the garden soon, but okay. Cool. They're going on to game time, but there'll be some break, okay. just like you had in the beginning. I'll have it in the middle. Yeah. Okay. 